Before there was Banksy, there was Mr. Eternity, an anonymous street artist who tagged the footpaths and side streets of Sydney for 35 years. He wasn't making a political statement or highlighting his gang affiliation. Over and over, he wrote just one word, Eternity. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. And with me today on the Signs of the Times radio show and podcast, we have Roy Williams, who's uh, co-authored a great book uh, that was just uh, released uh, earlier this year, I think it was, Mr. Eternity, the Story of Arthur Stace. How are you, Roy? Very well, thank you, Kent. Excellent. Great, great to have you with us. Now, just looking through the book, um, wow, it... It really seemed like, in some ways, a story of Australian history, but sort of played out through the life of, of one man. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? Well, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, lovely to hear you say that, because that's really what I was trying to do, um, mm. tell a, a, an amazing period of Australian history from the 1880s to the 1960s mm-hmm. through the life of this sort of quintessential Aussie battler. Yeah. So he, he lived through both of the Great Depressions, 1890s and 1930s, mm-hmm. both World Wars, yeah. including he served in World War I, uh, the temperance movement, you know, the rise of the Labor Party, all these things he, he lived through, and uh, they all made an impact on his life. Okay, can you just give us a thumbnail sketch of um, of the life of Arthur Stace um, going through those periods? I mean, you mentioned the, the earlier Great Depression, the 1890s one. He was born at around that time, wasn't he? Yeah, he was born in 1885 into a very poor working class family in inner Sydney and um, lived uh, as a seven, until his first seven years um, mm. in slums, really. Both of his parents were alcoholics. Uh, it was a really tough, as tough as it got. Uh, the, the kids had to steal food from doorsteps, uh, shop counters, uh, no real schooling. Mm. And then in 1892, so that's during the Great Depression of the 1890s, yeah. um, his father deserted the family, which was a criminal offence in those days. Yeah. Um, and his mother uh, was in a hopeless state, evicted from their rented slum and uh, she gave up all her children except one for adoption uh, or foster care mm-hmm. and uh, Arthur was shipped off to Goulburn country town in near Canberra um, at the age of seven and he, he lived there for seven years that's by the way incidentally Kent the place where he almost certainly learned how to write okay. at, at Goulburn public school mm-hmm. that's where that famous copper plate came from okay he's, yeah his copper plate <laughs> yeah. script yeah yeah, then he, then he worked down the coal mines on the south coast of New South Wales. Mm. Um, and, and narrowly avoided a, a fairly major mining disaster, I seem to recall from the book. That's right. So uh, at the Mount Kembla mine, um, he, he was down there uh, sort of late 1890s, early 1900s. And in 1902, one of the... Well, the worst industrial accident still in Australian history wow. occurred in, in one of those mines in which Arthur worked. He escaped it by just a couple of months. 
Wow. Um, but, 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 yeah, providence or fate, call it what you will, in action. Yeah, um, yeah. A repeated motif of Arthur's story. Yeah. But, anyway, but, he, he survived that, um, but he took to the grog himself, just like his parents and his brothers and sisters. So by his early 20s, he was a, he was a drifter, uh, came back to Sydney, started working for his sister's brothel uh, in Surrey Hills, fell in with me. some really tough, tough crowds. Goodness me. So, so he, he managed to escape that mining disaster, but he certainly didn't escape the depression that he grew up in, and he certainly didn't escape World War I, did he? He was, he was sent off uh, to be a, a part of that, that war, which was supposed to be a, a war to end all wars, or it certainly felt like, like it at the time. Yeah, well, in fact, he volunteered uh, in, in March of 1916. We, we found his AIF uh, service records. Mm. Like a lot of sort of battling Australian working class men of that era, he, he probably saw it as his last chance in life. Um, the AIF pay was very good. Um, conscription was looming anyway. And uh, so amazingly, even despite the carnage on the Western Front, which was well known by then, mm. um, he volunteered and uh, ended up as a stretcher bearer in France in 1917. Um, did that for a few months, but then he contracted pleurisy. Mm. Um, so this is another example of providence in action in, in Arthur's life. He was certainly very ill and ill enough to be taken off the front, but not so ill that he died. So, yeah. so he survived the war, came back in 1919 and... Um, then spent the 1920s really as a shattered wreck of a man. Um, yeah, they, they, they used to use that phrase shell shock, didn't they? I guess today we might call it PTSD, but a, a lot of guys who came back you know, from that First World War and the Second World War really had a lot of psychological difficulties and, and I guess he'd already had a weakness for alcohol and um, I, I imagine that wouldn't have ended at that point. No, it got worse in fact. I mean, he was effectively unemployable. He, he uh, by his own admission, he spent as much time in the gutter as out of it. He was a regular at the Darlinghurst and Redfern police stations, mm. you know, spent many a night in the lockup. And so by the time he got to the age of 45 in 1930, so that's the beginning of the Great Depression, yeah. he was just a, um, you know, a ruin of a man. Wow. Completely hopeless. Incredible. And you you mentioned uh, the temperance movement before. Was, was this around the time when uh, it was decided that alcohol was just causing so many issues in, in Australian society that they started to shut the pubs early and they, this created this sort of six o'clock swill phenomenon? But was, was yes. I, I know I forgot my yes. history, right, time-wise, but yeah, what, what was that all about? Well, it really started in the late 19th century um, mm. and it was a movement... Uh, very much involving women, progressive women, and the Protestant churches. As you say, they, it wasn't a wowser movement, although that, that word came to be used against them. It was really a, it was really a progressive charitable movement. Hmm. As you said, Kent, you know, the scourge of alcohol was very real. It was ruining families. The Stace family was just the perfect example of it. Yeah. And it tended to strike the poor worse than anyone else. And... Uh, so you had leading figures, in, in, including a man called Robert Hammond, who was an Anglican minister in Sydney, a very prominent man. Mm. He led the campaign in 1916 during World War I for six o'clock closing of pubs. That was voted in by the people of New South Wales, yeah, overwhelmingly. It, it, and um, That's really interesting. They didn't force until the 
50s, even 60s in some states. Yeah, I actually remember watching it not very long back, a show on ABC TV where they, they have a family sort of living through the, the decades and they were they started off in the 50s and, and this sort of mention of the six o'clock swill and, and how ridiculous it was that the pubs shut so early, but there was no talk of, of that history of where it came from, the damage that alcohol was doing earlier in Australia's history and the fact that it was a progressive women's movement and, a, and as you say, a vote, a, a sort of a, a, yep. pl- a plebiscite that actually brought this into force. Indeed. In fact, uh, it's an amazing part of Australian history and we forget. I mean, in the United States, of course, there was complete temperance, um, hmm. you know, prohibition uh, in, in, from 1920 to 1932. And hmm. uh, although that never happened in any state, there were votes of 40% plus for, for prohibition in Australia hmm. in that sort of era. And when you look at the sort of damage done by, by alcohol, you, you, you can begin to understand why. Um, and Stace, as I say, was just, just the perfect example. And uh, in 1930, so we now come yeah. to sort of the, the first huge day in his, in his life story. Um, in August 1930, the 6th to be precise, he took himself along to a... Um, a meeting at St Barnabas Church on Broadway mm-hmm. uh, for down a, and out men. This is in Sydney and, uh, still, yeah. Run by this fellow RBS Hammond, who by then was a, a you know a leading figure in Sydney society, a very esteemed man, uh, headed head of Protestant charitable efforts in Sydney, and uh, known to governors and premiers and sort of loved by all. Mm, he was also mm. an evangelist and he, he had this Wednesday night meeting every week where if the men were prepared to sit through a gospel sermon for an hour, they got supper. <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah, Arthur always said, look, I, I went along for a feed. You know, I, I went along for a cup of tea and a rock cake um, and I came out with the rock of ages. Yeah, okay. He, he, he was converted that night by Hammond's sermon probably from Luke 18, um, the prayer of the repentant publican. Oh, yes. Lord, have God, mercy God on me, a sinner. God, be merciful to mm. me, a sinner. Mm-hmm. Wow, r- Arthur, really powerful. Yeah, he swore that he, he, that night, and this is obviously the spirit moving in him, that night he just had this overwhelming conviction of his own sinfulness, hopelessness, and he said that prayer Victoria Park, just across the road from Broadway, you know, just adjacent to Sydney University, under one of those big fig trees. And um, he never touched a drop of alcohol for the rest of his life. Wow. That, that is and a miracle, isn't it? It is a miracle because, of course, those sort of cold turkey cures from addiction of any sort are extremely rare, always have been and, and always will be. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in Arthur Stace's case, there's no reason to question that that's what happened. Um, wow. I, I really tried to run a fine tooth comb over this story and separate fact from myth. <laughs> yeah. the, fact that, the fact that Arthur changed and converted in that year uh, is, is 
attested to by all of the historical record, okay. all the witnesses. Mm. What, what, what I really like about this story, Roy, is that yeah. at, at that point, Arthur Stace didn't sort of float off in, in a pink cloud of, of glory and sort of um, go, go to, to nest in, in a cathedral and, and never came forth again. But in, instead, he became an intensely practical and active Christian in, in the community. He did, he did. So he, first of all, he cleaned up his own act. Hmm. He, he very quickly went and saw Reverend Hammond, and Hammond put him to work through the 1930s in um, various charitable operations that, that Hammond was running. And Arthur was perfect for that because he could relate to the very sort of men that Hammond was trying to help, alcoholics, unemployed, yeah. derelicts and so forth. And uh, Arthur had this knack of getting their confidence and, and helping them in a practical way. Uh, but he also, he also came, became very involved in his church, initially mm. the Church of England, but they weren't quite fiery enough for him, so he moved over to the Baptists okay. in, the, in, the, in the late 30s and stayed there for the rest of his life. Um, he also got married he, and had a very happy marriage. He got paid jobs eventually. You know, very humble jobs, caretaker, cleaner type type jobs. But you know, he held them down and responsibly. All this time, of course, well, from 1932 onwards, he uh, was conducting this amazing mission for which he's famous for. Yes, and that that that's what what I wanted to get get onto. So he attended yeah. a, another Christian meeting, didn't he? And he heard a sermon that just struck his heart, and it, it was the the beginning of of something that has you know become legendary even to this day. T- tell us about that. Yes, well, uh, still during the Depression, 14 November 1932, Arthur, by a young Christian now, um, took himself along to a special sermon being run out of the um, Burton Street Baptist Tabernacle in Darlinghurst. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the, the visiting preacher was a, a man who became a very, very famous and eminent Australian evangelist, one of the greatest of all time. John Gotch Ridley was his name. And uh, Ridley, by the way, was a fellow survivor of the Western Front. In fact, like Arthur, he'd, he'd won the military cross, though, and come, come back a, a war hero mm. and then devoted his life to the Baptist Church. And by 1932, he was a really hard-hitting figure. And uh, he preached that night on the theme of eternity. Mm. Isaiah 57:15 was his verse. That's the one in which... God himself is described in the King James Version as he who inhabits eternity. Okay. And uh, Arthur was just struck, struck dumb by this powerful sermon. And incidentally, uh, for for your listeners, um, if you want to hear a recreation of that sermon, you can go to the Bible Society's website. And uh, and listen to it. Oh right. Uh, Ridley re-delivered it in 1970, and it was re- it was recorded, and it's a priceless sort of artifact of Australian Christian history. It's wow. really quite amazing. Okay. And anyway, and, Arthur yeah. Arthur from that night was uh, was again moved by the spirit to um, write the word eternity 
in chalk mm. on the streets of Sydney every day for the rest of his life. Okay, so but the, the preacher yeah. had this particular line that I've heard quoted over and over again. It's something along the lines of, um, the preacher said, oh, oh, that I could, um, you know, shout the word eternity over the streets of Sydney or is it something along those lines? And that's Precisely. sort of been a line that's that's been particularly recalled. Yeah, no, you're quite right. So um, that's how Ridley ended his sermon. It was unscripted, that part of it, because we mm. actually got the notes of his sermon. Uh, but that part was off the cuff, and that seems to have been the line that may well have inspired Arthur. He said, well, Reverend Ridley said that, you know, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to write it on the streets of Sydney. Yeah. And uh, he used to get up at dawn every morning, uh, before dawn, actually, pray for an hour and, and then roam around, mainly in the inner suburbs, but he later on branched out and covered most of Sydney by the end of his life. Um, every morning he did it. So and, just, uh, just writing this word, eternity, over and over again in, in chalk usually or sometimes crayon? Chalk, he later turned to crayon because mm. he reckoned it stayed longer on the footpath. You know, it was waterproof. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, it's amazing because after, after some years, this became famous, mm. even though no one knew who was doing it. Um, he, did it he did it for 24 years anonymously. Yeah. Uh, and it became like a real talking point in Sydney newspapers. I trawled through the newspapers of the 40s and 50s, and um, for a long time before Arthur's name was revealed, um, there was comment about this phenomenon and speculation about who was doing it and why. And uh, eventually um, eventually the story was broken uh, mm. to the Sydney papers in the mid-50s. And so for the last 11 years of his life, um, Arthur was a public figure and uh, invited to speak at all sorts of places and interviewed many times, lots of further media articles about him and... Um, Bit of a legend in his own lifetime. Mm, wow! Did did he have during those interviews an opportunity to explain you know, what he was trying to achieve by writing this word eternity over and over again? What what was he hoping yeah. to spark off in those who saw that word? Yes, uh, he was, and in fact, there's a surviving radio interview that again can be heard on the Bible Society's website for those interested. Arthur was asked that very question, and he said he reckoned that. We're all on this earth for a purpose. And he saw his purpose, one of them, as being to remind people that there's an eternity to face. That's what Ridley's sermon had all been about. Mm. There's an eternity to face and everyone's got to do it individually. Yeah. And he was really just trying to he was really just trying to prompt that thought in people. So of course, for him, it was a one-word sermon, but the word was so resonant that it came to appeal not just to believing Christians, but but to everybody. Mm. Um, some everyone who saw it, sort of, or many people who saw it, um, got thinking and about the nature of time and mortality and our place in the universe. All those, yeah. you know, the toughest, most important questions of all. And um, yeah. Arthur, this, you know. <laughs> Humble battler did it as well as anyone. Um, he, he he was taught by these great men like Hammond and Ridley, but ultimately he reached probably more people 
than anyone. Wow! Um, yeah, yeah. Culminating in 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 of course that great moment on New Year's Eve, nineteen ninety nine, turn of the millennium, where where the word eternity was used on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Yeah. Part of the, do, part do, of the celebrations. Do you know anything about the process that that led to that decision being made? Um, is is that something uh, I sure that do. Uh, in the book? That's another thing we tracked through in our in the book that. Um, so what happened was, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good story of God's, how God works. Um, so when Arthur died in 1967, there was an initial flurry of publicity, but then, you know, then his name wasn't exactly forgotten, but, you know, the legend kind of... Faded. Uh, mm. Faded. Mm. That's right. But then, incredibly, uh, it was revived um, in the 1990s. Um, there are a number of factors at play. Probably, probably the most important was a partnership between famous Australian artist uh, Martin Sharp mm. and a, a Sydney entrepreneur named Remo Jufre. Um, Remo opened a, a trendy merchandising store in in Darlinghurst in in 1990 yeah. called Remo, which still operates online. And um, his best-selling item were, were, were T-shirts with just Arthur's word, eternity, emblazed on the front. Okay. They still sell really well. And he had this store in a very prominent position in uh, Oxford Street. And um, Martin Sharp had done these big paintings with eternity written on them. He learnt about the eternity story and became fascinated by it. Mm. And together they sort of... they they, they they brought back the stace story to a whole new generation of people, including movers and shakers in that inner Sydney cultural scene. Yeah. So through the nineties, you got a you got a raft of uses made of the eternity story mm. by people like Sharp in painting tapestries. You had a documentary film made in nineteen ninety four, a very good one, which went around the world actually, and was screened at the Sydney Film Festival. You had poetry when these blokes were, Ignatius Jones and others were planning the Millennium Celebrations and the Sydney Olympics ceremonies. They thought of this word, which mm. seemed to sort of capture everything about the turning of the millennium. Mm-hmm. And it was a great Sydney story that you know, most people recognised. Um, and that's, that's how it came to be used on the bridge. Wow. And then, of course, the legend took off, you know, it was supercharged. Mm, all over and, again. Uh, you know, since then, there have been, there've been operas written about Arthur, countless art exhibitions and novels have made use of it, more poems. It really is quite extraordinary, the extent of the uh, cultural legacy that, he, that he's now left. Wow! Yeah, look that that is incredible. You know, it really reminds me of uh, a verse in in the Bible, in the book of Ecclesiastes, that says, "You know, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men." Um, and it really seems like, you know, as you say, all kinds of people resonated with this message and got got a sense of, "Hey, you know, we need to look beyond the the, the everyday activities that we have. There is, you know, something larger at play here. We need to sort of mm. look, look beyond and look, look to eternity." It's it's really powerful. Yeah, and and look, and I know. 
know um, Adele Nash who, who wrote a review of of uh, your book in the uh, July Signs of the Times magazine R- really enjoyed it had a lot of really good things to to say about it and I know yeah, she and a lot of other people ha- have really enjoyed it Has, is that what they're telling you? Well uh, that's 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 very kind of Adele and uh, great to hear um, yeah no we've we've had some terrific feedback from uh, all kinds of people including more elderly people who remember Arthur. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, some remember actually seeing him in the act of chalking. A few, oh, wow. a few remembered actually talking to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, all sorts of all sorts of great stories. But it's also fantastic, perhaps even better to hear, to hear from really, you know the new generation of young people, teenagers, uh, for example, at, at my church, um, who are reading this story for the first time. And yeah, learning about this great Australian Christian uh, parts of perhaps our history that they've they've never interacted with before, and yeah, just just the whole, as you said, Kent, you know, this whole unbelievable of of eternity. Yeah, yeah, it just appeals across the board. You know, once once people start actually thinking about it seriously. Yeah, yeah. That was my number one aim in writing the book. Yeah, sure. And and, and I guess yeah. that the, the one thing that really jumps out to me, I guess, is just that life transformation, that, that he was a guy, you know, born into poverty, um, you know, keep... Uh, and ending up w- w- without parents, you know, effectively and an orphan, um, yep. and and into crime and into addiction and all this sort of stuff. It, the sort of guy that a, a lot of people would have completely written off. And and we see through this story of you know a life turned around, a, a life transformed. And I guess for me, that that is hope. You know, that that's hope for for anyone you know out there struggling with whatever problem it is. That you know, if you look at his story and see what God was able to do with him, then you know perhaps you know none of us is beyond God's reach. That's absolutely right. No, none of us is beyond redemption, no matter how hopeless your, your situation might seem. Uh, it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. That's the difference between the, the Christian view of the world and, and all other views of the world. Mm, um, mm. One of my favourite stories, and there are so many of them, yeah. about Arthur is, is, is this one, that um, there's actually a cafe in of all places, Moldova, oh, wow. Europe, you know, part, part of the old Soviet communist bloc that um, has a place in it called the Eternity Cafe, ah. set up by Australian Christian missionaries. And um, they found that uh, when they told the story to the pe- people of Moldova, it resonated hugely. And mm. the reason they kept getting was they could relate to alcoholism and poverty. Yeah. And those aspects of the story just were absolutely universal and, um, uh, and, and therefore, uh, you know, the, the evangelistic power of Stace's story, um, you know, cuts right across just Australia. You know, it's gone, it's gone around the world. Mm-hmm. No, I love that story. Yeah, no, it, it, it is incredible to think that a, yeah. such a quintessentially Australian story can have such deep resonance elsewhere. And and look, I, yeah. I, I really hope that people over the world do in, enjoy your book, um, Roy, because I, I know, um, you know, I, I certainly did. And uh, Adele, who wrote the review for us, uh, <laughs> certainly did. So, yeah, thanks so much uh, for taking the time to tell us a, a little bit about it. And where, where can people get hold of the book? Well, it's uh, it's well stocked at Kurong. 
any any Kurong store mm-hmm. around Australia. You can you, you can get it online at um, through the Bible Society mm-hmm. or through Acorn Press, uh, their website, or, or Amazon, I imagine. Certainly Amazon. Yep. Mm. And there's an e there's an e version if people people prefer to um, to read it that way. But I, I I personally like the paper version. There's some beautiful photos in there of uh, mm. of um, well, both photos of, of Arthur's life and also the uh, cult, sort of cultural spin-offs of eternity that we've been talking about. Wow. Some lovely colour photos as well. Yeah. Thank, thanks so much, Roy. R- really appreciate your time. And, um, yeah, all, all the best. Look, looking forward to your, your next book. Thank you, mate. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. God bless. <laughs> Cheers. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast.